a very special Take Control Books celebration. This is Mac Voices. Welcome to Mac Voices. This is the talk of the Apple community, and I'm Chuck Joyner. Folks, this show kicks off what I hope will be, if everything goes as planned, a special week uh, with some very special guests and some very special friends. Uh, we're here to celebrate uh, an accomplishment, I think is the proper way to say it. So let's do this. Let's first of all welcome Joe Kissel. Joe, it's great to have you as always. Nice to be here, Chuck. Next up, Adam Angst is here. Adam, it's great to see you as always as well. Always fun to see you, Chuck. And last but absolutely not least, I should have started with her, Ms. Tanya Angst. Tanya, I'm very been, happy to be here. <laughs> oh, my God. It's been way too long, Tanya. I don't know. You're, you're hanging out with these other guys. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> um, so we're here to celebrate 20 years of Take Control Books, which is kind of amazing um, because th these three people have been very special friends to me. They've been very special friends to Mac Voices. I'm honored to have them here to celebrate 20 years of Take Control Books. Joe's, I guess the current, what's what's the proper word, Joe? Perpetrator, sure. We'll go with publisher. <laughs> perpetrator. Perpetrator, perpetrator. Poobah, publisher. Okay. I, I, should, I should officially change my title to perpetrator. I like that better. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that means Adam and Tanya are the original perpetrators of Take Control Books. I'm not sure they like the title. Mm, <laughs> So I'm I'm going to start it this way and and say where did Take Control Books start? Whose idea was it, and how did it get off the ground? You expect us to remember that long ago <laughs> and all the details? Well, Actually, Tanya, somewhere like there that, has so. to be some, some corporate records. Adam, come on. I, I believe it was really Adam's uh, idea uh, specifically that Tidbits could publish uh, some eBooks and sell them very inexpensively over the internet instead of doing the whole, uh, you know, write a large document, work with a publisher, get it printed onto lots of pieces of paper, have those pieces of paper bound and put into UPS trucks and driven all around the globe to be put in books. And look, they're obsolete. <laughs> and th th this idea was building for lots of reasons one reason was I had spent the previous summer editing a book about Final Cut Pro for Peach Pit. And, and the book had to be completed because the new version of Final Cut Pro was going to ship. And yet clearly the author was, was it was not possible to finish this book and just problem after problem. And so just seeing all the ways that paper books don't work well, I think helped Adam to, to have this, this idea. And I, I, I know Adam brought me in quite, quite early to uh, help out and edit these things. And I truly don't remember how it was that Joe got persuaded to write the first book. So it was a little bit of the, yeah, we, we, I mean, kind of came up with the idea, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you have the idea, right? you like the, the, suddenly the puzzle pieces are available. Like, oh, I know how to make this and I know how to do that. And we have this technology to connect the two now. And you can take payments over the internet. And it's sort of the, hey, maybe we could. And so, you know, Tony and I sort of batted around the idea, but, you know, we didn't want to write them all ourselves. That wasn't the goal. And so, uh, yeah, Joe was, uh, I, I can't quite remember what we were doing. I think you'd, I think you'd done some writing for Tidbits fairly recently before then. Yeah, I mean, I, did, um, just, so I think I'd done some writing for Tidbits, and I had I had just finished um, a big book. This one was, and I have to remember, I think this one was 50 Fast Mac OS Ten Techniques, and you wrote yeah. the uh, <clears throat> foreword to it or something. Um, and, like, I mean, I had written a few books by that point, but um, I had actually, there you go, look at that. <laughs> hey, is that good or what? Yeah, that's wow. awesome. Well, that's like the that's first impressive. time you've needed a book from your bookshelf in the last three years. <laughs> closer than mine is. Yeah, but I mean, uh, we 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 knew each other from many <clears throat> Mac worlds and like you know all the, all the things. And uh, and I remember I was living in San Francisco at the time, 
And I think you sent me an email saying, hey, Joe, I have this idea. I want to run by you. Can I call you? And this was back in the days when people still use telephones. Um, so, I mean, tell with, with use wires them, yeah, for, for, for talking on, I mean, what, what a weird thing. Um, and I remember, I remember standing in my kitchen, uh, having this phone call with Adam. I had been, I had been laid off from my, uh, my, my most recent tech job in like the previous, I think December or something, this must've been, I don't know late spring, early summer, something like that. And uh, I was doing some stuff, but I wasn't really making a lot of money. And my my prospects weren't weren't too rosy. So basically, I had time on my hand and hands and I needed some money. And so he described this idea to me. And like ebooks were barely a thing back then, like the Kindle had not been released yet. You know what I mean? Like the what like this ordinary everything everyday thing to all of us today it was it was barely a thing so i'm like huh ebook well you know what yeah, i could write i could write 50 pages on something and adam was like you know we got we got a group together we got all these people who have all written conventional print books uh about apple stuff and um i don't i don't remember exactly who all was in the initial group you and Matt. So I know, I know Matt Newberg was. And Glenn. And Glenn, Glenn Fleischman um, was, was Kirk, Kirk the original? Yes, because it Kirk was Mackler, you with yeah. upgrading, upgrading to Mac OS X Panther. And that, so the idea was that instead of writing one very large book about everything there was to know about Panther, that each author would tackle what would affect like a chapter. Right, yeah, exactly. A chapter. So Joe was first, and he was in charge of writing the chapter about how you would upgrade to Panther. And then Matt was next, and he would write how to customize Panther for your, your needs. And then Kirk, uh, Kirk Mickelhern, was going to write about users and accounts, how to get that all working. Because at the time, users and accounts was a little mysterious. We Mac users were slowly adjusting to this whole Unix thing with users and accounts, but uh, it was slow going for some of us, myself included. Um, and then Glenn Fleischman was going to write about uh, sharing files. Sharing files, look at that. Sharing files huh? in Panther. Um, <clears throat> and so that, and, and I don't, maybe we had some ideas for other things, but that, you know, that seemed like. I think we were going to go with that for the time. I mean, and, and to be clear, what I was just showing here, um, this is, this is the, uh, the print version of this after we we said hey we've got all these ebooks we went to our friends at, Pe at peach pit and said hey would you like to put it in a print book and they did and it was not a huge success um <laughs> however the ebooks were a huge success well, and that's partly why we did to say we were not planning like a, a 10 year 20 year <laughs> five year like publishing enterprise we just thought we literally thought because of the pricing and and the ebooks, we thought if we can sell a thousand copies in six months, that will be worth the effort. Like that, so, every, no, it'll be fine because the authors were really just writing what was in essence a long chapter. So they don't need to make that much money, you know, to kind of be okay. So, so the money was kind of interesting, um, the, the selling part of it, because that was actually where, where we ran into issues um, early on. Um, we knew we could take um, take you know take payments, and I was friends with a guy named Key Nethery who ran a, a shareware service called Kagi, and so I worked with Key to set up a special um, uh, special connection to a merchant account. So we actually had our own merchant account. We weren't working, you know, Kagi was just acting as the front end. That got us a great rate from Kagi for because we were going to charge five bucks for these. Like we couldn't afford to spend a you know to pay a dollar in transaction fees or something. And so, but when you set up a merchant account, um, they ask you how much money you expect to take in. And the reason is, is because when people pay with a credit card, they can reverse the charges if they don't like it, or they don't get the thing or whatever. And so the, the merchant account company is kind of on the hook for up to six months. That's how long you usually have. And so, as Tanya said, we were thinking, oh, you know, we'll never, we'll never sell more than a thousand of these. You know, that's a, that would be insane. Um, and so, uh, um, so we, 
we we said we could maybe take you know five thousand dollars total. You know, we had you know a couple of we had two books to start uh, upgrading and customizing were the first two, um, and. I remember I actually had to go to a conference about a week later. So we, we do this and yeah. we announce it in tidbits and it starts selling. And, and it's we just sell like, oh a thousand God. copies in a day. No, well, so I remember this. I remember like chatting with Adam in whatever, with whatever we used for chat in those days. And he's like, are you looking at these numbers? I'm like, I'm looking at these numbers. We, we sold got email for every copies. sale. Yeah. We saw we we sold a thousand copies of my book in thirteen hours, and we would hear from people. This was back when you had to go into an Apple store and buy a DVD for one hundred and twenty nine dollars with Mac OS ten on it, and people were sitting on the sidewalk outside Apple stores before they opened that day with their laptops connected to the store's Wi-Fi, and they were downloading my book. We got stories like this. It was insane. <laughs> so we sold we sold 1,000 copies in 13 hours, and within 24 hours, we had sold 2,000 copies. And I was just like, I, I, I think I have a new job. <laughs> Holy cow. So, but, but anyway, so about Adam, Adam wants to talk about the money. A week later, I went on a, I had to go to a conference. Um, uh, maybe not even a week, might have been like, I forget, I forget what day it was that we announced, but it was like, I don't know, Friday or something. And then maybe I had to go on Wednesday or something. But I'm, I'm coming back from the conference. And I think this is the, the only time I've really felt like a, like a true Silicon Valley tech guy, because I'm in the airport in San Francisco. And I, I forget whether I got a call. I think Tanya called me because our site wasn't taking orders anymore. Um, we'd gotten shut down. And, uh, you know, at the, at the merchant account side. And so I'm like talking on the cell phone. And this again, this is 2003. And I was not a big cell phone guy. So like the fact that I had a cell phone was kind of cool in 2003. Um, yeah, but I'm talking on the cell phone. I'm connecting to the, the airport Wi-Fi, trying to figure out what's going on. Finally talked to the, the guy at the merchant account and, you know, making clear. And he's like, you know, I don't know what's going on, but, you know, basically you sold too much. And I'm like, that's not my fault, you know. Like I'm sorry, <laughs> you know. Like I, you know. so you know, he's like, I'll, I'll do what I can, but you know, like I've never seen one of these situations get turned back on um, because, for all they know, you're going to go off to Bermuda with the money, and then you know, and and no one's gotten their stuff, and you know, and this is eBooks again. Like this isn't something no one even knows about. So I forget. I get on the plane. I get home, and it's working again. And, you know, call him the next morning, uh, you know, and, and, and he basically says, I don't know what happened. Someone in that company must have known who you were. And, and so, you know, we, the thought was that there, you know, there was some, the tidbits reader in that, in that merchant account company who was like, this is Adam and Tanya. They're not going to Bermuda. So it, it wasn't. So, so there's a little bit more on that. So what it was was he said there was someone. In Bellevue. Yes, that's right. They were heard in Bellevue, in Bellevue, Washington. Who like had gotten it turned on. And we used to live very close to Bellevue, Washington for the 10-year period that we lived out in the Seattle area. And and so we ex- we think there must have been someone, yeah, like Adam said, who could vouch for us in some way. So but we got lucky, but the the registers kept kept rolling in, and at some point. Uh, I, I think it was several weeks later, we had a call with Joe and, and Joe was kind of like, I think I could write more books for you. Yes. <laughs> can I write? Can I write more? Can I write more? Right. Please. Right. <laughs> uh, and we're like, oh, well, it's probably a good idea. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. we just, you know, we really hadn't planned this. <laughs> but but it, it, it really it was just, you know, well like, well, we'll just do these four, you know, you know, to start with. And that's when we really got into the, oh, we could just do more and more and more. And, and we did. I mean, you know, I mean, I forget, I mean, Joe maybe probably knows what, what he's up to. But, you know, I think when we, we stopped, when we sold the, sold the business to Joe in 2017, after 14 years, what was it, Tony? I think we decided we'd done 125 ind- individual titles or something like that. Something like um, that. It was oh, a lot. 
it's well over 200 by now i would have to yeah go yeah number but yeah and um so okay so a lot of questions here that i'd like to know what did this do to your because because all of you were accomplished authors or had relationships with the publishers the established publishers what did this do to your relationship with them were they cheering you on were they saying oh my god you're going to put us out of business no peach pit yes. peach pit was very nice um they, they were yes, always terribly oh. nice they were i don't think nice. anyone was, i don't think anyone was saying they were going to we were going to put them out of business though no no they, not like that but i think they yeah. were like, like cheering for us and supportive but also like a little terrified because we had really cracked a huge problem that publishers like Peach Pit were having. Their authors literally could not write fast enough to complete their books by the deadlines, which were dictated by the software companies because the book had to be on the shelf when the software shipped, which is really hard. And the book had to be wide. It had to be thick. So when it was on the shelf, spine out, the title, you know, stood out. And and it was and the software companies were starting to turn things over faster and faster and faster, and it was just it was just a race to death, and and we really had we had solved it, and and it, we were just the, the big, first. I mean, everyone does. I mean, if we even have ebooks, we do we even have books anymore? No, no, no. So that's, that's the thing is, is we in fact we outlasted them. I mean, Joe outlasted them, but you know, Peach Bit's gone. O'Reilly basically doesn't do books. All of the other MacBook publishers basically gone. Um, you know, there is no more computer book market in print. Just doesn't exist. And and the and and I mean the 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 realization we had very early on. I don't remember how long it took us to do an update, Joe. Um, but we realized that we could turn an update around. I mean, by the time I mean we got good i mean we got really good so like, if we need to do something really small like we day. could do it in hours no no hours yeah. I mean, literally hours um I mean, anything more substantive weeks i had this know? whole checklist because like the books had versions and copyright dates and things so i had this whole checklist to make sure that we got the version right because the version had to be correct in like three different places in the book and it had to be correct in the in the like secret url and all these, you know, it had to be correct on the website. So I just said this, this huge checklist to put out a quick update, like every last thing that had to be done. Oh, besides, you know, like, you know, writing the update and editing. <laughs> <laughs> Those little things. But, but the updates were, were, were an absolutely brilliant approach. Um, and to be fair, um, let's see if I have one here. Um, the, there, there was a, I don't think I have one, um, but the Macintosh Bible actually did this um, way back when, where you would, you would get the book and yeah, I don't think I have any print ones, um, but they actually, you could get these little pamphlet updates to them um, because the books were just too big and um, it, it never caught on anywhere else. It never really worked um, for print books, but it was something that we I've did in a big way. You got the Panther one, yeah. And see how um, big they had to make it so that it would stand out on the shelf. <laughs> yeah, just crazy. And and so between the updates and the speed with which we could put them out, um, it was it was huge. Um, it, it just made made all the difference. Uh, I and I want to say that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Good, no, no. Okay. Now, I, I want to say from the author's point of view too. I've written a bunch of those, you know, big thick books. And you write something that's 600, 900, 900 pages long, and it costs whatever, you know, $30, $40, the author is going to get like a dollar, you know, ish. They're, they're yeah. By the time, you know, by the time everything is discounted <clears throat> by everybody in the whole chain, and the publisher takes their cut, and if you have an agent, the agent takes their cut, and blah, blah, blah you might get a dollar. Um, and most tech books never even earned out their advances. So the dollar itself is kind of <laughs> even hypothetical. <Dollar. laughs> so, so what I, what I thought from, from the author's point of view was, was actually huge. Like the, like revolutionary was Adam and Tanya's idea 
that, no, we're, we're going to sell the books for a tiny fraction of what those big, thick paper books sell for, but we're also going to give authors 50% of the profits. And I'm like, you mean to tell me that if I write like a 50-page book on upgrading to Panther, <laughs> it sells for $5, then I'm going to get 250 ish or a little bit less after the transaction fees. I'm going to get like more than $2 for this. Whereas when I spend six months writing a gigantic book, I only get a dollar for that. Like that was crazy to me. That yeah. was nuts. So I, yeah. I have just never encountered anything like that. And boy, boy, did that help. I mean, it, I know it not just me, but helped all of you. <clears throat> that was huge. It, it was just one of those things that when you, when you, what we realized, because a part of what made take control possible was, you know, by that time, let's see, my first book I'd written in, I guess it was, I've been, I've been writing books for 10 years. My first book was in 1993. So 93 to 2003. And so I had, you know, like I had all these and two about there um, on the shelf. And, um, and so I had really worked with a bunch of publishers and I'd done all the contracts and I knew, I knew really well how the finances worked and every, every which way. And so you know, when Joe talks about a dollar, like, yeah, the book was 40, but the bookstores paid 20. And the author got a percentage based on the selling price, the 20. Um, and so if you got 10% of the 20, um, you know, maybe you were getting two bucks, but really that was, you know, probably it was, it was probably wasn't really 20. It was probably something else because they bought it in discount or blah, blah, blah. There were returns. Yeah, et cetera, the return. Don't forget oh. the returns. <laughs> returns returns kill people. Back in case of returns. Yes. So so what we realized was is we could simplify this hugely because we didn't have this inventory. We weren't going to ever have returns. All that we could just say the author is the most important person in this in this project. Like they should get half. It's as simple as that. And. And that made it, you know, hugely more lucrative for the authors. Well, not really hurting us as the publishers because we were still making a bunch, you know, that, you know, we were making the other half. I mean, we had to pay the editors and whatnot, but, uh, you know, that wasn't the end of the world. So, well, you know, so it really made a difference to, to rethink the entire business model along those lines. Well, and of course, we were decades ahead of our time because we also had a completely distributed workforce that was 100% remote. Right? <laughs> right. And then so when you were ready Adam for and the... I uh, are married, right? So we actually like share office office building, as it were. Um, <laughs> he's just he's over behind there. the closet. <laughs> but, uh, but, the, but the point being that we didn't have, you know, office space to pay for or... Um, you know, miscellaneous production people. We didn't really have legal fees, uh, you know, just all the janitorial yeah. staff, all those kinds <laughs> of things that you would normally have. We just didn't have. And we were just, I think everyone who's worked on Take Control over the years, certainly the vast majority of us were like very, very early on the internet. You know, people who literally started to use the internet, you know, before the web existed kinds of people. So we were like very comfortable with it. And we were always trying all these novel, you know, video conferencing so solutions, <laughs> which never worked very well. But man, did we try them? Uh, <laughs> so but but so our costs and of course, we weren't printing onto onto paper and delivering things with UPS trucks and and all that. So our costs were just so much less than a traditional publisher would have been. Okay, so, boy, I want to make sure, though, that we're very clear here. One thing that's always been a hallmark of, of Take Control Books is the quality of the writing, and not just because of the authors, because they're, I'm sure somewhere somebody thought, oh, ebooks. okay, so I, uh. I'm going to get a PDF and there was put together in Word and, you know, hit print and then saved a PDF and that's it. And and you all you all went above and beyond to create a workflow and, and as a result, a final product that was much more sophisticated and, and was like, for the time, it was unbelievably sophisticated. Again, the thing that, that we had was 10 years of publishing experience. 
um, you know, in terms of I had written books for 10 years, Tanya had had edited and written her own books for 10 years. And, you know, Joe had Joe, I mean, Joe's first book was about nicest writer, um, you know, way, way, way back when. Um, so from the from a pure like creating content standpoint, we were all professionals. We'd done this multiple times. We knew, you know, we knew how to write. We knew the value of good editing. Um, we knew that, that things had to be proofread as well as edited, you know, like all of those kinds of things. Um, but I do think that, and this may be a little bit of our age, um, that uh, those of us who, who, you know, who kind of came into the industry as very young people in the late 80s, early 90s, we we were pretty clear that we needed to pretend to be professional because we weren't. We were 22, you know, we were 23. We didn't, we were not professionals. We were, we were kids playing at this stuff when we started. And so, you know, we always tried to, to put on that professional face and, you know, pretend that we knew what we were doing. Nowadays, it's much more the, oh yeah, I got the screaming baby in the corner, but I'm still here doing my, you know, my internet stuff. You know, we would never in a million years have done that or put out something that seemed amateurish. Like that, that was anathema to us. Um, and so, so I think that, that there was always that incredibly high bar that we set. And, you know, I, I think all three of us, you know, like, know that each of us has our own little thing about like, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but we have to go fix this stupid little thing because it's wrong. And we cannot put a book out with this wrong thing in it, you know, and I'm sorry. Now it's now two more hours of work for everybody. We we also had different ideas of what wrong was. I remember (laughs) in the, in the early days, um, all of the authors and editors um, were, we had, it was like this club and we had this mailing list, the control freaks mailing list. (laughs) It was extremely active. And everybody would weigh in about everything. We had long, spirited discussions, <laughs> sometimes heated disagreements about things that today we go, oh, who even cares? But whether it was a question of style or it was some you know intricacy of technology or how you do a very specific thing in a PDF or whatever the thing was, everybody wanted to weigh in and have their opinion. And... What was great about that process? I mean, it was it was trying <laughs> at times, but, but what was great about it was that we all learned so much. Yeah, uh, because like Glenn would know a thing that nobody else would know. And we're like, oh, and then Kirk would know a thing, and Jeff Carlson would know a thing. Like everybody would would have would have their own experiences to bring to bear, and even though we disagreed about some stuff, that that group input on the process and on the editing and on the like technical review and things like that made everybody's <clears throat> books so much better. I've forgotten about this until you just said the tech review. Um, we had, we, we, we used this service called quick topic document review where we could put up basically a draft of a book as a huge web page, and you could leave a comment on each paragraph. And and what we, I mean, that, and it wasn't required, but basically every book that went out, we had a, a quick topic pass and a bunch of the authors would go through and do that. And so, yeah, you, I mean, that was part of it was we had the best possible peer tech review that any book could ever have because it was, you know, these five other, you know, high end authors. And so, that made that made all the difference for for that kind of stuff. And I mean, quick topic went away a long time ago, but that sort of stuff, you know, that was that was powerful. Well, and, well I don't think we had Google Docs, uh, uh, certainly not initially. No. Like, like we probably like we wouldn't have needed Quick Topic if we'd had the you know multi user, you know, everybody can get in there at the same time thing. That was Quick Topic was unique in offering that at the time. Um, I, I love the way Joe described that. I, I, um, I have a job, uh, currently where I work at Cornell university and I work at an Institute and I'm the editor. 
and the it's a little, yes there's it's, only it's one a little, it's a little lonely because when i sell when i put a semicolon somewhere or whatever it is i do everyone just is like wow that's great and i'm like well, i hope so but you know like could we have some discussion <laughs> because because there was always um it was just always a lot of very, you know, very intelligent people who really cared about the product, um, putting their heads together and it's really um, fantastic for pulling out the best. And it's a bunch of people who do have a little bit of that XKCD, you know, kind of mentality of, but there's something wrong on the internet. Right. You know, yeah. Could not let it go, <laughs> which is good. You know, I mean, it's good. Well, that, I complain. That's a th- that's the thing that strikes me here is the, the the amount of ownership that everybody in the process, even though Adam it was Adam and Tanya's project initially that that Joe took, and all the all the uh, the commentary you're talking about from all the other authors, that everybody, re- I mean I don't know maybe it just is hindsight, but it seems like everybody recognized that they were involved with something game changing, but also something that was going to have their names on it, so they cared a great deal about it. It was all a whole lot of rising tide floats all boats, you know, that, I mean, you knew that if you contributed, you know, comments on someone's one person's quick topic, they'd come and do it to yours, you know, and so we all knew that that was, you know, that was, that was how we, how we got better. Um, We just kept doing good stuff. And so much more collaborative. I want to give Joe credit for something. So after the first uh, couple books came out, we started looking and we could see that Joe's book w- was really selling very well. Um, and so, and there were samples and things. And so I'm like, well, why is Joe's book better? Right. <laughs> Probably lots <laughs> of reasons, but Joe had this notion that the book should have a quick start. I don't even know if we called it that then. And I'm going to hold this up and probably nobody can even see it, but hopefully what, what you can see is that there are some bold headings and some other things that are not bold. Um, but the main, the point here is that uh, for better or for worse, <laughs> Joe had introduced the notion that the whole thing, everything that you need to do in the whole book should be laid out in just a page or two with the high level points that you need to know to start quickly. And then we can link from that quick start area to the part of the book that elaborates on this particular topic. Um, and and I decided that that was probably a key part of why Joe's book was selling well. And I made the other authors put those into their books. <laughs> and then later I, I came to sort of regret that, but you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, uh, one of the things that, I mean, it, the, that I kind of enjoyed about the whole process is that, I mean, these were true hypertexts and this was actually what I, what I, my degree in Cornell was in, um, is hypertextual fiction admittedly, but this was not fiction, but, but it was still, you know, sort of that opportunity to really see how you could, who could create multiple paths through the book. And that's what the quick starts were. Um, is they offered you different paths for the book. And that was important because even though these weren't huge, there was still that level of, yeah, yeah, I know this stuff. I just need this little bit at the end. And you didn't, you didn't, you could just go through the table of contents and that would tell you stuff. But the quick start was a, was a more narrative approach to different jumping off points within the book. And I thought that was tremendously successful um, for, for a lot of them. We, and we did run into a couple of books where it's like, wow, that just didn't quite work for them. We don't, you know, it's like, didn't, didn't make sense. And we don't know why. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we've tried a lot of different things over the years. And, you know, having, you know, having the, ta- you know, a fully linked table of contents, having the, the fully linked, um, having the bookmarks in the sidebar, having the quick start, and really quite a lot of linking within the book. So you could bounce around to the appropriate spots. You know, that was the promise of hypertext. And we, we made it happen in a real way. Uh, it was not easy. I mean, I mean, the number of the number of major apps that we went. Well, I guess it was only really three. I mean, it was we started with Word, we went to to Pages, and then we switched to Nicest Writer, and that's where you're still at. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but we had we had significant technology jumps to make this happen. Yeah. 
and that's well, Adam. That's kind of what I was referring to when I said these are not just PDFs that were slapped together. You know, no. they 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 were something that I'm, I'm not quite ready to say. Unlike anything any, anyone had ever seen before, because we did had seen the web and we had seen um, hypertext before that, but this was this just felt completely different. And well, they, they were not. And, no the one had is, done it. But no one had done e- it like consistently. They were ebook first. Like, yeah, you can print them. People printed them. I've got a printout here of one. We're, that's fine. You're allowed to print them, but it's a peripheral side case. The main case is people who want to read it on their screen and people who are excited that they can click around in it and who are excited that we've got lots of live URLs in them that, you know, you click it and you, you know, it's like, okay, you want to do this, go download this software. And we've got a link right in there for how to download the software. And, and so it was always ebook first. And so a lot of other publishers were, and I think actually still are kind of struggling with the, okay, we got this piece of paper and we'd like to have kind of a digital component. Maybe we're going to stick a QR code on it, right? <laughs> so they're paper first, but we were always e, e first. And so that also caused, I definitely did some thinking, okay, well, if we don't care about the paper, if we only care a little tiny bit, what can we do differently? What does that allow? And so it just was a completely different mindset. And like, you know, we, we there is a moment in our production process when we have our, our word processor and we create a PDF from that. But I would never in a million years sell that PDF. After I do that, I have to go through four other apps and about a dozen other steps to make a PDF that meets my minimum standards of okayness. Then we have another whole separate process we go through to make the EPUB version for, you know, Apple Books and whatever, um, and which has its own its own <laughs> challenges. So, um, so as as Adam and Tanya both basically said, yeah, we we sweat the small stuff. So why didn't you go? I mean, look, I, there's I can completely understand there's some practical. Uh, Practical applications here, but why didn't you build the 600 page books in ebooks? Why did you decide to go with the 50 page ebook, the 60 page ebook? Too hard. It would have never finished. You never finish. And it's just too much. I mean, that was the whole point with the with the updates was is that you could finish, and you might have to do an update in a month or two months, and you could just do that. If you had 600 pages, you would have so much to update. You would never, you'd like be in this constant cycle of never really releasing. Um, that that there really are some sweet spots. We actually have a couple of books. Like how big is Michael's Pages book now? Oh Joe? my god, it's 377 pages long. Right. It's ridiculous. I keep telling authors, would you please write less? We want shorter book. We don't want 300 page books. Please yeah. no, stop doing. And it takes him like two years to come up with a new version. Yeah, it's too much because it's just it's so hard. And so by the time by the time you even finish writing a hundred page book and you give it to your editor, the software may have updated. So now your editor is testing it on a newer version, and they're like, "I hate to tell you this, but six of the icons on the toolbar have changed. So you got to redo all your screenshots." I mean, you got to get these things out if you only have. <laughs> Like 24 hours after you shoot the thing before something's not going to be right in it, right? So There's actually, I mean, we've never done, um, uh, we've never done a book about things like um, Google Docs or Gmail or things where like you just have no idea when it's going to change and it could change weekly because that's, that's, I mean, like at least with software, you kind of know there's a version. And you can you can tell okay we've got a line in the sand until the next version, but but the truly online software where it just almost streams and they just the updates just keep coming all the time, it's not possible. I mean you you'd have to you'd have to draw your own lines in the sand and then just be randomly out of date. Plus they don't ever tell you what's changed, so there's like there's no chance you'd be you'd be in this in this infinite cycle of looking for for new stuff. Um, so again, that was something which you know, just doesn't quite lend itself to uh, even even the speed of the ebooks. 
Okay, so, and that's, I mean, that's kind of obvious. And you bring up a great point, though, especially with some of the online stuff. I feel like the companies who are doing the changes don't even document it at times, let alone tell us. (laughs) Documentation is for for schmucks. Come on. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, just go in there and mess around with it. So how did you all decide, though, what topics, I mean, look, some of the Apple topics were obvious, but you eventually expanded out a little bit into non-Apple, uh, non-Apple published things. I'm not sure what the best way, but third-party, I guess, yeah. third-party apps. How did, how did you decide which ones to cover and which ones not? Was it just a matter of what you thought was popular or who you could get to write a credible book about it? Yeah, pretty much. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. I remember in the very awesome. early days, the the take control authors were like, okay, now that we've seen, we we have a few books out, this process is working. Everybody's like, okay, what can we do? Like, I want to write a book about 18th century Italian opera. I want to write a book about bicycle repair. And everybody had like all these ideas. <laughs> and from time to time, we would experiment with something that not only wasn't Apple specific, but maybe it wasn't even really about technology, <laughs> sort of technology adjacent. I mean, I wrote, as previously discussed, the infamous Take Control Thanksgiving Dinner. Still yes. a great book, but like nobody nobody in our audience wanted it. Um, we had a book on buying a cheap plane ticket. Uh, book written on by a 16-year-old. Written by a 16-year-old, yeah. Um, Who's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had these books on things that, that were a little bit outside the mold. And it turned out that every time we did something that wasn't just like the thing that the tidbits audience, the Apple fans were dying for, very few people cared. And however good of a book we might have been able to make about something, we also have to be able to sell it. And for reasons we could take another whole hour to talk about, it's very, very difficult for us to access the audience of people that are interested in 18th century Italian opera. Even if we had the best book about it ever, finding enough of those people to buy that book that it would make everybody enough money, it's just not going to happen. So although, you know, we did, you know, there, there were things like, well, here's a book that covers both the Mac and the Windows version of this app. There were some, there were some times when we sort of, you know, expanded beyond the, the purely Apple stuff. We never did a book that was strictly about the Windows version of something or the Android version of something. There was always it always at least accommodated the Apple ecosystem if it wasn't exclusively about that. But that's that was just a function of like what what are we capable of selling books on to the people that would find out about them? And that's that's what worked for us. Well, so that just points right back to the fact that you all did this at exactly the right time with exactly the right audience to to have it be such a major success. I mean, yeah, you're right, Joe. The 18th century Italian opera audience was not probably plugged in technologically, especially at that time. So, yeah, it's just right place, right time, right ideas, and it all came together. I mean, that's the case with so many things. Um, I mean, you know, the, the things that work, you know, it's not that they were, and it, it, there's a, there's a lot, I mean, again, it's right place, right time. So there's the sort of a luck involved that, but there's also an incredible amount of hard work and, and you, and you need, you need both of those things. I mean, you can put on all the work you want, but you know, if you're writing tank control of Thanksgiving dinner and trying to sell it to Mac people, you know, it was a lot of fun, but it didn't, it wasn't, wouldn't have been a business. So if we had said, oh, right. we're going to do cookbooks um, because that's what our, where our passion lies, we probably wouldn't still be doing, um, right. you know, that would have gone away. So, so, you know, I think there is a lot of that kind of right stuff, right time. And, you know, it was also at a time when books were still a thing. I mean, one of the, I mean, one of the things that we were hitting six years ago and when, when Joe took over and, you know, he's been dealing with ever since is the fact that books as containers for knowledge are useful for a particular, frankly, demographic. Um, It's an age group thing. You know, our son remains befuddled to this day that we earned a living and put him through college selling eBooks. So I think eBooks should be having a comeback. 
I, I feel like <laughs> more and more sites on the internet have just become vinyl. completely unusable. <laughs> that's, <laughs> but that's right. We're the vinyl of, of technology content. <laughs> And, right. and, and I oh. think that Joe should start to experience a strong resurgence of interest <laughs> in younger demographics as well, we know. they come to realize the value. Adam, I want you to, to elaborate on that. Why does your son find ebooks so? Oh, no quaint? one under the age of 40, maybe even 50, would even consider looking at a book for an answer to a technology problem. Um, they would simply oh. go to YouTube. Um, frankly, these days, I don't know how, but they would expect TikTok to like throw them the answer somehow, or, um, you know, it just, they would do a web search and they'd move on. The, the, the problem, see, this, the thing that we were solving and the people we were addressing and still do is people who want to understand something. They don't just want that answer. They want to know how the app works, how to think about it, and how what kind of strategies you as a user should employ around this topic. You know, that we always said that with take control, you should be thinking as though as an author, you should be, you should be explaining this to your friend. You're like, this is who you're like, you're helping this person. You're not gonna, you're not gonna just tell your friend, oh yeah, click there. That's what YouTube does. YouTube says, click there and your, your answer is, you got your answer to your problem. This is the, oh, you want to, you know, upgrade to, you know, to Sonoma. Okay, well, here's what you should know. Um, because like, if you just go and click the button, you, it's not going to work for X, Y, and Z reasons. And, you know, and you're going to come back to me and say, well, you don't have a Mac that's new enough, or you don't have free enough free disk space or whatever it is. Or maybe you really shouldn't do that because you rely on this strange app that's still running and you're still running Catalina. Um, was I um, supposed to make a backup because. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so it, it's take control is much more about the, the milieu. Um, the, the the foundation that you need to to move forward with confidence and success, whereas the way people think about technology these days is just tell me the answer. That's it. You know, mm-hmm. and, and in some ways, it's just getting worse, right? I mean, the chat GPTs of the world tell me the answer. I don't even care if it's right. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, I know you you have a heart out here, but I I definitely want to get to the point uh, to talk just a little bit about why why you sold take control books to Joe, and he's done a great job and continued on. He's been on the show multiple times. We've talked about it so much, but um, what was the decision process there that you all because you were still doing tidbits and you still continue to do tidbits. I think, I mean, Tanya can actually answer this better and more so because, in fact, I think she was the one who was primarily the driver there um, in the sense that we've done it. We were. It's Joe's fault. (laughs) No, it's nobody's fault. Joe and I both turned 50 um, and Joe turned 50 in January and he called Adam and I up around that time and said, as I recall, that he just felt like he needed a change. Um, and he hoped that over the course of the next year, he would figure out what that would be. And it would probably mean he would be writing fewer take control titles. And I sort of thought, well, and Tristan, my son was a senior, uh, in high school at that time. And I sort of thought, well, Hey, you know, I was sort of waiting for my 50th birthday to say something about that. Tanya's birthday's in uh, September, mine's in November, in so we were a little bit behind. And so various discussions ensued here in New York State between Adam and I, and I don't even know what all Joe may have been thinking about, but we decided uh, that the best thing to do uh, would be to persuade Joe that he should take over as uh, publisher of Take Control, which would allow Take Control to to continue. It would give Joe an entirely new job title and things to think about, and it would free me up to have my midlife crisis more effectively and decide what was next. <laughs> okay. And, and by the way, I just I, I just want to to like while Adam's still here, I want to mention the fact that the last time the four of us were all together was back in 2017 when we all got on on this show to announce, oh, guess well, we what? We should go back and see what we said then. <laughs> yeah. 
we might we might but we don't look a day now. older we might have been lying then i don't know the story might have changed i'm not sure i will make sure i have a link in the show notes to that show because it's still online you can go back and, and see but yeah they, they called me and said okay we we want to come on the show as a group and we have a surprise for you okay fine you know great um and they came on and they said that we've sold take control to joe and i'm just sitting there completely baffled as to <laughs> what happened here. <laughs> and I mean, like when, in some when, ways it's easier to look, it's easier to look at in, in retrospect almost in that, you know, when you, when we had done take control for 14 years, right? So that was 2003 to 2017. That's a long time. And it's, you know, and it's not like tidbits where tidbits just kind of rolls because it's not that much to do every week. Um, I mean, take control is these big chunks of stuff you got to get out and do everything and then move on to the next big chunk of stuff and i think you know probably more so for you know particularly for tanya um and then joe on all these all his titles of course um that they were just kind of go, going through this incredible roller coaster non-stop and you know that was that was that was tiring um so that he was sort of time to time to you know throw things up in the air and see where they fell down um but yeah, very much no, the and way Joe that, ended up landing in Saskatchewan somehow. Yeah, well, in the end, so. well, that's turns. But like, I remember that call because, like, as far as I was concerned, from from the time that I called you and said, you know, look, I, I really need to find something else, until the time that you called me with this idea, I I was planning on doing something else. I was geared up, ready to do another thing, and. You, you, we had a phone call and you're like, so we, we have this other, let, let me, can we just like change that idea slightly instead of you not working on take control anymore? What if you did it all the time? <laughs> and I, and I remember just, I, I hadn't the slightest clue. That idea had never, ever crossed my mind. It, it was, it was just mind blowing. Like what you, you want me to what? And how am I going to do that? And how am I going to afford that? And like, how just like it, it was a matter of just like I needed a brain transplant to even be able to, to, you know. And that was only a couple of weeks later. I remember this because, I mean, Joe's birthday is in early January, the same day as yeah. our son's birthday, in fact. And, um, uh, and we, Tanya and I were having the, like the, the, the primary conversations. Um, we'd gone up to, uh, to uh, Ottawa to skate um, on the Rideau Canal. And we were driving back from Ottawa. I remember having some of the conversations, you know, in the car on that way back. So that's, yeah, we were you know, basically early February. They'll take control to who wouldn't run it into the ground. Right. right? And we yeah. went through a very long list of companies and and friends and, and none of them met the, <laughs> the bar of probably will run it into the ground. <laughs> And all the companies would just want the just want the lists. They weren't going to want the titles. They yeah, weren't going to treat the authors well, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, so we just this was this was the this was the the win win all round. Um, and Joe's still standing, so I think we did okay. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I mean, let us let us be honest about the fact that ups and downs have occurred. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, um, we we are still very much in the black. And um, it, it is it is a healthy business. Let's just say it is a healthy business, and we will continue to make changes. Honestly, look, we're we're not going to come back in another twenty years. Can we just can we just say there is not <laughs> going to be a forty year take control anniversary? More about all in our mid seventies. Like it's 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 going to have to end in some way before then. But still, I mean. Um, it's it's got life in it, and um, more new and interesting and exciting things are ahead. Well, I'm honestly truly thrilled. Joe and I did a vast number of spreadsheets projecting every possible uh, occurrence as far as how badly Take Control could do <laughs> and how well it could do and everywhere in between. And I think actually our projections for the first two or three years out were, were actually quite good. Um, and, and I'm very thrilled that, you know, we did not cause Joe to go bankrupt by selling this. <laughs> and, and, and that it is a viable business and, and it makes me very happy when I see the books coming out and, and, uh, 
Well, I, I still think it's one of the one of the most highly regarded products in the in the at least in the Apple tech world because of the authors, because of the quality, because of the care. Um, and you know, you've continued to address things that people want and need. And plus the fact it helps that there are such personalities involved as authors. I don't think that hurts at all. So it's it's yeah. it's something truly unique. And I just need to say congratulations to all three of you on 20 years because Adam and Tanya built the foundation. Joe has taken it and, and run with it. And I, I'm, I'm guardedly optimistic. We might be here at number 40. <laughs> See, that would Dream mean <laughs> that I wouldn't get to retire. That would mean that I would still be working in 20 years. Retirement is overrated, Joe. Uh. <laughs> okay. Maybe not according to Joe. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you so, can write a take control title about that. Uh, it, absolutely. Well, you know, our our demographic is uh, heavily weighted towards senior citizens, so they could give it yeah. to their kids as as hints. Right. <laughs> so Joe will be back later this week to introduce his new book, "Take Control of Retirement." Um, Folks, this but, is our, a typical, you know, brainstorming process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we need to talk just a little bit before Adam has to go about uh, what you're doing for 20 years as as a celebration. Right. So uh, around the time that this video audio comes out, there will be a tidbits article talking about stuff. There will also be. Uh, an email that I send our customers, those who have opted in, obviously. Um, and we're we're going to be, uh, by, by now, the news will have been out, I think, <laughs> that, that we're doing two things. Uh, one thing is, we are doing this crazy thing, as, is we're rolling all our prices back to 2003 levels. Our first books were all $5 each. Of course, that was back when they were closer to 50 pages, not 300 pages. But anyway... We're rolling all our prices back to $5 for anything in our store for a limited time period, uh, two or three days. Um, and, you know, there will be details uh, in the article that hasn't been written yet. Um, so we have uh, we have that going on. I, I think that will be very popular, very, very low prices. Uh, you, If you want to buy Josh's $5.99 Take control of notes. You can buy that for five dollars. If you want to buy one of our fifteen dollar books, you can buy that for five dollars. Everything's five dollars. Think something that would normally be four dollars, also five dollars. Um, <laughs> uh, also, and not because it's super popular and everybody needs it, but because it's this season, I'm going to give away a copy of Take Control of Thanksgiving Dinner to anyone who wants it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I, by the time you see this, there will be a new edition out, the first update to that book in 11 years, and uh, and everybody can just have it for free. It's going to be free from now until Thanksgiving 2023 in the U.S., and uh, anybody who wants it can just have it. So just just because that seemed like the seasonally appropriate thing to do. And then, of course, there will also be another episode or two of Mac Voices uh, featuring other special guests. Yes. And I'm always hesitant to announce those things, Joe, because you never know what's going to happen. But we're planning on making this a take control uh, kind of week here at Mac Voices. So stay tuned. And you're going to want to watch every one of them because they're going to be as much fun as this interview (laughs) has been. I guarantee you. Guys, thanks so much. Adam Anks, Tanya Anks, Joe Kissel, the, the the past and present Take Control crew. Uh, really appreciate everything you've done for, for, for me, for Mac Voices. You've always supported my efforts, but especially for everything you've done for the community, all the great information and all the user group appearances, everything. You guys have been fantastic citizens of this community. Thank you. And, and thank you, yeah. Chuck. You have been your yeah. unwavering, unwavering support over all these years. <laughs> has also helped us a great deal, and uh, we we deeply appreciate that as well. Indeed, wouldn't have, indeed, wouldn't have it any other way. Good stuff all around. Absolutely. 
Folks, I'm Chuck Joyner. This is Mac Voices. Again, this has become suddenly Take Control Week here at Mac Voices. Look for more soon. Thanks. Take for control watching. of Mac Voices. All right. Okay. Now <laughs> we've got we've, we've taken down Ecam. What do we do next, Joe? Uh, yeah. <laughs> this sounds like a rebellion here. What? <laughs> hey, that that take control that that works for a whole lot of things. It turns out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of them we can talk about on camera. <laughs> well, folks, it's been fun. <laughs> hey, th- thank you so much. Thank you for including me. This is, I've, I, I'm oh. very touched. I'm absolutely touched. So, all right, we'll, well see you in a few days. Yes, right. Now, until next time, ciao. Yeah. Visit macvoices.com for show notes and to connect with Chuck on social media. Get involved in our Facebook group or like our Facebook page. And get more out of your Apple tech with Mac Voices Magazine, free on Flipboard and on the web. And if you find value in it all, consider supporting us through either our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash macvoices, or by making a one-time donation via the PayPal link on our front page and in the show notes of each episode. You will join these fine people who help bring you Mac Voices. Advertising handled by Backbeat Media at backbeatmedia.com. Bandwidth provided by Cashfly at cashfly.com.